Hello, beautiful woman. Welcome to Range Woman, the variety show. Range to me is defined as the ability to take on multiple tasks or projects simultaneously, efficiently, and effectively, whilst being able to tap into and or embody the energetic states required for each of the tasks or projects with ease, flow, and grace. My name is Lala Angela Wang, and it is my intention through featuring a range of amazing women that I have come across in my life to inspire you too to follow your dreams, your desires, and creating the life of your dreams. I am a huge believer that we can all have it all in this lifetime, perhaps just not all at once. So if you so desire, join me on an amazing journey to discover your inner range. Hello, 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 and we are live. Haven't seen you guys on this platform for a little while. Well, it's actually only been a week and a bit since I did my last episode. My name is Lala Angel Wang, and in case you haven't seen this show before, this is called Range Woman, the Variety Show. Essentially, it's a show where I showcase amazing women that are working on multiple things in their life. And the most important thing is they're able to flow between the different things with ease, flow, of course, and plenty of pleasure. This all started when my clients are like, Lala, you are just too unique. Nobody can be like you. We can't do what you do. I'm like, well, that's not quite true because I know in my world, there are plenty of amazing women that are not only doing what I do, they do plenty more. And my guest today is exactly that. And Ryan is a fellow woman in construction, um, which makes me really excited. But she's got two businesses and she's also working with her husband in construction. That is hard, I'm telling you, especially under a lot of stress, like during Christmas time. It's hard. So we're going to find out from her how she did it. How does she do it every day, day in, day out? So without further ado, that's bring on Anne Ryan. Hello, Anne. How are you? Hello. Hello. I'm really well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming. Now, there's a bit of a contrast. It's ends in Melbourne. Apparently, it's raining right now. Sydney is, like, really hot today. It's about oh, 31 really? degrees. Yeah, summer's truly here. <laughs> Hate to rub yeah. it in. <laughs> <laughs> Melbourne, so, right? Oh, come yes. to Sydney. Come to Sydney. Now, actually, I love Melbourne, um, the food scene and the fashion scene. And you guys have so much more, like, your buildings are so much more interesting compared to Sydney, I really have to say. Uh, we've got Andy Ridden saying Buka. I don't know what that means. Don't know. Not sure. Maybe it means hello. <laughs> Hi, Andy. Hi, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently I've got, you know how I like to start my show, guys. If you watch this regularly, I normally ask something that's outside of the ordinary and Anne has told me apparently you were struck by lightning when you were eight. What was that like? Yes. So I was eight years old and um, living at home, obviously, and I there was a storm and I thought my sister had hit me really, really hard, but it turns out I was hit by lightning because there was an open window and the lightning had actually struck a tree first and knock the tree over and then come through the window and hit me in the back. So seemingly if it hadn't hit the tree first, it could have been quite fatal. But, uh. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I was actually fine. I was fine. I was taken to hospital for observations, but I was fine. I was just, yeah, it's just a great story now that I can tell people. <laughs> How did you find out? How did you actually know that you've been hit by lightning? Um, well, I had a burn mark. I was hit on the back, but I had a burn mark on my front. Mm. And, um, 
And that's since faded actually over the years. But um, yeah, and so that was the only explanation that we had for what happened. That is so cool. Okay, imagine going back to school and then say to all your classmates, guess what? I survived. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good it's a good one. It's a good story. It's a good war wound that I can talk about. Yeah, yeah. No, I like it. My <laughs> so claim to fame. Your claim to fame. But being <laughs> here by lightning to now, owner of two businesses, one in construction and one in the coaching field. I want to go a further step back because I'm always interested on how women choose construction as their path. Um, I kind of say mine is a little bit of accidental. And I guess what I want to find out from you was what was your path to construction? What got you into the industry and what was it like starting as a, I don't know whether you call it cadet or was it a young engineer or was a young person in construction back in your days? What was that like? Okay. So, look, I was a rebel. I was a tomboy you know, and so from a very young age, if anyone said to me, and you can't do that, <laughs> I'd really want to do it, you know. So construction was considered, you know, a man's world, a boy's world. It wasn't really intended for women. I'll be completely honest. I wanted to do architecture, but I didn't get the grades. So... I got into construction that way. So it was kind of accidental too. But the intent was after one year I was going to transfer into architecture. And I never did because I quite enjoyed construction. I enjoyed uh, there were only four women in, you know, my whole sort of cohort. And it it meant a lot to me to be just one of four, you know, and I really felt like I wanted to change the world. Um but my actual experience in the construction industry was quite different. <laughs> so, yeah, I and I got a job. I got a job really quickly, um, really easily as well. So I think it was at a time, it was in the mid-90s, it was at a time when it was a good thing for um, companies to employ women mm. to show, you know, diversity and so on. But... Um, the actual experience on construction sites wasn't fun at that stage. So I didn't really enjoy it, but it was mm. it was a good experience. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it. Do you think our industry has come a very long way since the 90s, though, in terms of being more accommodating for women in construction? Look, I'd say so. Um, back then, I'm not kidding you, but, mm. you know, what I wore people would comment on. Um, if I When I climbed a ladder, people would stop to watch. Um, I got derogatory comments all the time. Mm. Um, and, you know, there were topless pictures of women everywhere you looked. Mm -hmm. um, they deliberately had team meetings in strip bars. <sighs> I don't think that would happen today. Oh, I no. <laughs> I don't think that would happen today. Mm. Yeah. And this is in London. So um, it was a pretty kind of confronting, tough mm. uh, sort of uh, place to work. But, mm. you know, I put on a brave front every day and I stuck it out for three or four, uh, almost four years. Um, but I cried a lot. Mm. <laughs> in the evenings because I didn't enjoy it mm. I felt you know I was so stressed like uh, I was tested by everyone the men were difficult and the one or two women that I would come across they weren't particularly nice either you know it mm. was like it was a competition and and it shouldn't be like that so I heard a lot of Story about the queen bee syndrome in fact when I first started um, in my current role I remember one of the clients representative was woman and she literally said well you can't do it mm. yeah so no I, I get it but I also know that there was a pivotal moment that you literally just literally quit and pack your bag and decided to hijack around the world 
what was that pivotal moment? Um, I just, look, I just, I just had enough. Um, mm. I'd actually bought an apartment. I was 22. I'd bought an apartment in London, which was quite a big deal. Mm. Um, and I thought that would help me settle, but instead I actually discovered that was my ticket out of there <laughs> because I was able to rent my apartment in London and that gave me money to travel. <laughs> So made a good investment choice. It was a really good investment. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I've done well out of real estate, which is another little side hobby of mine, um, buying, renovating and selling houses. And, um, yeah, so that was kind of my way out. I, I Look, I, I'd reached the point where I was so, so unhappy. Mm. I knew I had to leave. So I kept my job open and I said I was going on a three-month overseas trip, but... I, I resigned after, you know, after three weeks. I, I wrote to them and I said, I'm not coming back, so you better replace me. And, um, yeah, I actually never went back to London either. I never went back to England because I ended up I ended up taking a round-the-world trip, got as far as Asia, New Zealand, Australia, and I met my husband. So, and that was 23 years ago. Oh, wow, and you've never been back since... I've been back on a holiday, but all right, yeah. okay. Just haven't yeah. been back to work. I haven't been back to work. I sold my apartment in London um, after about two years of being here. I figured I wasn't going back, mm -hmm. and um, and then we invested in Melbourne. So, so tell mm. me about the little adventure that you had when you were in New Zealand. <laughs> so. I ran out of money by the time I got to New Zealand. Um, well, I had enough. Just as you land on the bottom of the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had enough money to go out, right, to socialise and to yeah. go out drinking and to, um, yeah, to and a little bit for accommodation. I had lots of friends in New Zealand, so I had lots of free places to stay as well. Mm. But um, I wanted to save money. <laughs> And so I hitchhiked for two months by myself around New Zealand. And I had the most incredible experiences. Um, so what I shared with you before, Lala, was that um, I was somewhere near Wellington with my thumb sticking out and I got picked up by a pilot. And he ended up not only just giving me a ride in his car, but he ended up then giving me a ride on a four-seater plane across to the South Island. So I was actually heading to get the ferry and he offered me a ride on a plane instead. So that was amazing. It was scary as well because I've never <laughs> been in a small plane. Um, and I remember the turbulence and I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, what if I die? And you know, and I could just this is imagine. a stranger driving me across the ditch from North Island to South Island. What if something happened? I know, I know anything right? could happen. Exactly. And then there, there were so many other times when people would stop for me, and <laughs> I got picked up by a bread truck who told all his friends around the South Island about me. To look out for this girl. To look out for me. And so I went from place to place to place. I covered the entire South Island on bread trucks. That was awesome. <laughs> people were amazing. I met some incredible people. I also met some scary people who I thought, I don't want to get into your car because... <laughs> I don't think I'm going to survive it. But then you're standing there in the middle of nowhere with your thumb stacking out. What do you say? You're not the type of person I want to get into the car. No, thank you. So you just get in the car and hope for the best, <laughs> pray. And they all turned out to be incredible people. Like 
best experience. I wouldn't recommend it, but <laughs> I'm glad I did it. Yeah, so let it. me ask you this question. How do you think your hitchhiking and traveling experience around the world has helped you in terms of building your two businesses? Look, it's fair to say I've always been a rebel. I've been this bold, brave risk taker. That's like a constant in my mm. life, you know, buying, renovating, selling houses, just things that I do a lot of people wouldn't do. I get an idea and I act on it. You know, it's that fast. Like I'll decide and I'll do. I, mm. I move really fast. I don't overthink things too too much I, I I really like all my friends who know me well are just like yeah we're not surprised you know because we just know how quickly I move whereas yeah I buy the first car that I see I buy the first house that I see I don't kind of shop around I don't waste too much time mm -hmm. looking for that needle in a haystack you know I kind of I see the good in everything. I see a house and I go, yeah, I'll take that because I can fix it, <laughs> right? Because yeah. I won't go looking at it if I didn't think it was in the right area. So it's in the right mm. area. The house can be fixed. The area can't change, right? Mm. So that's kind of my rule of thumb. Same with a car. You know, if I'm buying a car, I do my research. I know I want a BMW X5. I know I want it to be silver. So I test drive the first one and buy it. Mm. What's the point? I resonate it? with that so much. And that's why I don't <laughs> test drive cars. Because <laughs> <laughs> the last time I went test drive a car, guess what? <laughs> the border? Like, oh. Yeah. I'd be the same. I'd be exactly. the same. Do you think that's something? that anyone who wanted to tap into business should at least look at, I guess, as a skill set to have? Well, it's that what's the worst thing that can happen concept, right? It, that's my thing, you know, and I just kind of think of everything and I think, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Okay, I may lose some money, mm. but I also could gain a lot. Yeah. I bought a house without seeing it. I live in Melbourne and it's in Blairgower mm. in the Mornington Peninsula, so it wasn't that far. Mm. But the auction was happening in about an hour and it was in the perfect area and it was in the right price. And this, the real estate agent was like, and you've got to see it, it's a knockdown. And I said, no, we're going we're gonna to renovate it. And he said, Anne, you've got to see it, it's a knockdown. <laughs> And I was like, it's going to be fine. We're going to renovate it. <laughs> anyway, I won the auction. It was like a silent auction that was done um, remotely. And then I had a three-day cooling off period and I went and checked it out. I walked in the front door and my foot went through the floorboards. The house was covered in termites. <gasps> So did you knock it down or did you renovate it? We renovated it. Wow. Mm. We've renovated it, we've Airbnb'd it, and we've made good money on it. And it's worked out fine. We will probably one day demolish if yeah. we decide to keep it for ourselves because mm. it's in a great area and it could be our, you know, sort of our long-term you know long, way, long home. yeah for anyone who doesn't know australia mornington peninsula is one of the beautiful the most beautiful spot in i guess victoria it's one of my favorite spots and mm. i've been looking at glamping at mornington peninsula apparently it's the thing so yep if you're going to melbourne definitely go to mornington peninsula and definitely check out Anne and ask her whether she's got accommodation available <laughs> <laughs> yeah since we've come out of lockdown the place has been in, in demand um 
Yeah, no, it's good. It's Mornington Peninsula and especially Blairgowrie, the beach, the back beach is a surf beach and the front beach is this super flat, safe beach that, you know, and you can walk a kilometre into the water and it comes mm. up to your eyes, you know, like not very deep and it's just really safe for kids. Great for kids, I was going to say that, yeah. Yeah, it's good for surfing at the back. So it's a great spot. And yeah, anyway, so that's so kind of too. I can kind of think that you are a woman of intuition. Right? A lot of the things you do, even though you say it happens just like that, you just decide. Do you do you think so yourself? Well, it's funny you should say that because I didn't used to, mm. and it was only very recently this year a few months ago about six months ago this year i learned about human design yep what and are you i am a four six generator with an emotional authority oh we're this close to be same same oh really what are you i'm a four six generator with a sacral authority oh okay <laughs> I was just sitting here going like, I wonder if Anne is a generator because generator are generally, even with emotional authority and correct me if I'm wrong, once your emotion reach neutral, it's still getting that yes from your sacral. Yeah, look, I've learnt to slow down my decision-making a little bit. Mm -hmm. so I'm not making the decision in the wave of the emotion. Um I kind of discovered that a little bit through general maturity. <laughs> and then I had it reinforced when I had my human design reading, you know, mm. that's idea, to just kind of give it 24 hours rather than act no. so fast. Yeah, yeah, because I have done some silly things mm. uh, by not really thinking things through. So, yeah, it's interesting. And my human design, I'm highly, highly intuitive. So whereas I've sort of put it down to luck, mm. the things that have happened to me, I've been lucky or, but, yeah, perhaps I, it is my intuition, something that's just kind of like do it and just do it. Yeah. So I wonder what's the conversation like because you and your husband met and then not long after that, you got married. So what was the conversation around, you know, when you borrowed $300,000 from the bank and decided to start a business with your husband? Um, look, it was, it was quite a scary time. Um, I had gone back to work full time. We'd had kids. Um, mm. And I'd gone back to work full-time after having children and my husband stayed at home. Um, that was a decision that I made, we made together, you know, and he was happy to support me with that. Um, and, yeah, and then we decided to start a business and at the same time I decided to quit my nine-to-five, right, my, my corporate job as well. So I was out of the construction industry at this point. I was working, mm -hmm. um, I guess I was working in the airline industry, um, sort of offering project management services but to the airline industry. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that was, it was quite, a, you know, it was quite scary. <laughs> yeah, because if anything, that's one of those things that you could really fail you know, being the industry, especially if you look at this year and then if you look at back in 2007, 2008, when we had what we call the recession, a mini recession, it's scary because you could either make it, like you said, or you could really poo-poo it and then be in debt for the rest of your life. So what were some of the key, I guess, conversations that you had with your husband? Because the reason that I'm asking this, right, being construction is tough. Like I said at the beginning, it's intro. Not to mention you're in business with your husband, which is like another big no-no in business because that meant you are literally spending 24-7 with your business partner. And when we talk about money, which I'm going to ask some more questions around, it's almost like one of those, you know, we talk about don't talk about politics. 
don't talk about money with family and friends, especially around Christmas dinner. <laughs> Not to mention you literally live and breathe with this guy 24-7 in a business, in a family environment. So what were some of the key conversations that you guys had to have before you made this, key, this decision to go, okay, we're going to borrow money, we could get go bankrupt, but we're going to do it anyway? Um, so it was 2008, by the way, when we started our construction. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, look, I was super, super confident that both Michael and I were employable. Yeah. Mm. If shit hit the fan <laughs> and it all went wrong, I'd, I'd get a job as a consultant, easy, yeah. right? I, I knew I could. I had so many contacts and I still, mm. I've been out of corporate now for a long time and yet I have this confidence that I can get a job tomorrow. Mm. I don't want it, but mm. I have this confidence. I could be kidding myself, by the way. You know, my, my corporate skills may be completely out of date i don't know but i feel confident that i could get a job yeah and that's, and that's how we're that, right that's really yeah. is the key yeah yeah so it was kind of like i was um yeah we were going to start the business and if it didn't work out one of us would get a job to just pay back the loan and, you know, until we got things off the ground. But we didn't need to. It was fine. It worked out fine. I mean, part of the 300000 was a bit of a cash flow buffer, Yeah, you know, to pay ourselves a bit of an income and, and just to get started. So, mm. um, yeah, and, and that's the thing. It With business, you kind of have to go all in. You have to sort of back yourself you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it can't be done as a side gig. That's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of like if you've got your foot half in, half out and you're not fully backing yourself, mm. then, It's yeah. like you always have plan B, C, D, E, F and G, then you will never execute on your plan A, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and interestingly, to an extent, because we have the construction business mm. and I started my coaching business about three years ago and I do it part-time. Mm. I do both sort of part-time. Our construction business is like my safety net. I can't go all in with my coaching business because I have my construction business as my kind of safety net, right? Mm. Well, how interesting that you say that because, you know, I was just wondering, like, what at what point you go like, okay, I'm kind of bored. I'm kind of looking for this next adventure. And how did coaching actually fell into place? I know you generally feel into things, but did you research or did you have to do a bit of soul searching? Because you had your business for quite a while before mm. you started your coaching business. So what was the steps that you took in order to figure out what the second almost like site hustle is going to be? Um, so my first experience of ever uh, working with a coach was when I, um, just before I quit corporate. Mm. That was, I didn't even know coaching existed. <laughs> and then I was in all this kind of, I was quite, stressed and I was working full-time but the moment I walked in the front door at home I turned into a full I turned into the primary carer for my kids mm. right because as a mum I felt guilty that I wasn't with them and so I immediately became their primary carer and then they were still babies right so they were still waking up during the night mm. so I would deal with all of that and then I'd go to work the next day this isn't my husband's fault, right? He was more than happy to help. But I wanted to do that because that was my contribution as their mum. And mm. so I got really burnt out. It was just, you know, and I I was very close to sort of a bit of a breakdown. And so 
I saw a life coach and that was my first experience of, of coaching. And so then many, many, many years later after our construction business was kind of pretty established and we had a perfect work-life balance and I was working from home and I was always available for my kids and, you know, we didn't really need or want anything. You know, we had a very comfortable life. And like you said, it was like something. I needed to shake things up. <laughs> something was missing, right? <laughs> Not enough stress. I don't yeah. know. Um, this is a bit too comfy. Yeah, no, it's a bit like, uh, need something else. And, yeah, and that's when I did a bit of soul searching and mm. I felt this really strong desire to work with women. Uh, actually, no, that's that came second. I I did a, a coaching program and I mm. did it for just my own personal development, just for me. You know, I just did it. And then as I was doing the program, I kind of thought, this is this is it. I would love mm. to actually help other women, you know. And, um, yeah, around, so I, it, I studied NLP as well. So it was around that whole um, mindset and, and so on. And I felt a strong desire to work with women because I've worked with men predominantly for mm. My, my career and so that felt really nice to do that and yeah and then I sort of started my coaching business. So how did you or when did you realize that you can actually teach women about money mindset? That came a lot later um, that actually came at the start of this year mm. um, and I saw this common theme, this pattern kept coming up over and over again in coaching and it was around self-worth and it was around, um, you know, self-worth is am I able to charge that, you know, can I charge that? And then I was kind of seeing this common theme, whereas mm. I totally own it, right? <laughs> I'm fabulous. I think I'm like. Well, you are fabulous. <laughs> so I've never had an issue with charging what I'm worth, but I had a different block. I had this fear of success because I was worried about burnout again. I was worried if I had a really successful coaching business, then I'd go back to how it used to be in corporate. Yep. And so I had that block playing on my mind. And so I did a um, money program for myself again and I cleared that block and then I became an accredited money coach through that same coach. And, yeah, and so that's since the start of this year. I've been using the, my money coaching hand-in-hand hand hand with my business coaching because I really feel it plays a big part in business, right, and in, in pricing and mm. in asking and owning your worth and, you know, and charging appropriately and all those sorts of things. So in corporate, there's a saying, um, especially when it comes to job searching, a man will apply for a job even if they only tick three out of ten criteria out of their job description. And a woman will only apply for a job when they believe they at least tick nine out of 10 yeah. of criteria, do you believe the same theory applies to money and self-worth for women and men? Do you believe that men generally believe that they have more, I guess, self-worth or they, they just think like you, I'm fabulous, whereas women need to work a little bit harder in order to find their own self-worth when it comes to money? Yeah, look, based on my experience, that's what I've seen. Women lack self-worth generally this is a generalization right i'm not saying yeah. all women no um, and generally men tend to own it more why um, do you think that is i don't know you know i think upbringing has a small part to play you know at how um boys and girls are treated by parents mm -hmm. potentially um because i sort of was i 
was very tomboyish from the start, you know, and, and um, yeah, and my sister and I have different, um, we're very, very, very different. Mm. And, and, we've, and it's just two girls in our family, you know. Um, but when it comes to self-worth, we're very, very different. Mm. Too. So, um, you know, and I have my own self-worth things too, right? Um, I don't really always think <laughs> fabulous but you know I kind of think well here's the offer this is what I can actually do for someone and without a doubt it's worth this mm. I don't I don't think twice about it you know I just kind of think well that's how much it's worth yeah if I'm you know whereas for me it's actually only until recently I feel comfortable in saying well this is how much I'm worth Instead, I quite often in the past would go, well, can other people afford it? And I think now that I've come through it, it's almost like as female, we've got this nurturing side where we're trying to understand other people's perspective, well, at least with my upbringing anyway. It's always like yeah. be considerate, right? And when it comes to money, sometimes we're almost a little bit too overly considerate of other people's situation and so yeah. then we decided to dim our own light so other people could kind of shine a bit more and feel a bit more comfortable around us so I guess my question is actually no you go first you seem like you have something to say in oh well you know it's all about how you frame it right it's mm. it's all about perspective and how how you frame it because I believe that People show up very, very differently when they invest. Mm. And um, you've frozen, Lala. I don't know if. Um, oh, you're back. Okay. I just didn't. I just didn't move. <laughs> Is it better now? There's a little bit of freezing that's happening every now and then, and I'm not okay. sure if it's at your end or my end. But I can hear you. I can still hear okay. you. So yeah, no, it's all good. Um, yeah, so it, 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 like my perspective is people need skin in the game, mm. right? If you don't invest, you're not invested. Mm. And so when the investment is too low, and this is my belief, right? So, you know, I'm not saying this is, this is mm. the law, but this is my belief. When the investment is too low, people are not as invested and then therefore they don't actually get as good a result or an outcome as they can. No, I, I, I concur. And I think this is also from my own personal experience. When I invested in a smallish program, I kind of, you know, depending on the value, sometimes I would be like, oh, well, it's only, I don't know, 20 bucks. Yeah. You know, same thing with if you go into a social function where we go to a corporate function, if it's free, I'm least likely to go. Whereas if I have to, tomorrow I've got a function that I have to pay $150 for a lunch, I'm going, well, I better go. Absolutely. Yeah, you show up very differently, right? Mm. When you pay something, you show up very differently. Even, um, even a $500 investment compared to a $5,000 investment, you'd show up very differently, mm. right? Um, I mean, 500 is a decent amount of money, don't get me wrong, but still 5,000 is that next level again. Mm. 50,000 is the next level again. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like, it's my house yeah. deposit. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also about um backing yourself and mm. it's you know um yeah so i believe that people are more invested when they invest more and if we don't charge appropriately mm. people won't actually get the best outcome because they won't show up in the same way as if they paid more it's almost like you're doing your clients a disservice isn't it that is such a good reframe, Anne. That's why you're a coach. <laughs> and it's not up to us, right? We shouldn't get into other people's wallets. It's not up to us to decide what someone can afford and not afford. Mm. You know, um, 
And this is all on the assumption that we completely back our offer, right? Mm. That our offer is actually good. So I'm not talking about putting a high price on something that's just not worth it. You know, mm. that's certainly not what I'm saying. You know, we're not out to scam anyone or do the wrong thing, right? This is about if we believe in our offer, we believe that we can offer a transformation or a great outcome for our clients, mm. then we should charge accordingly. Amen. So how does somebody know that they've got a money belief issue? Um, if, what, if are you some of the, what are some of the signs? Yeah. Um, so if you're wondering if you have, then <laughs> you probably do. If you find it hard to ask for money, if you find it hard to have money conversations, if you find it hard to... Uh, say no to someone who's asking you for money, mm. right? Um, if you find it hard to share your pricing, to ask for the sale, right? Mm. They're all signs of money blocks. And they tend to those sort of, some of them tend to stem from self-worth mm. um, and others might be, you know, just from like a boundaries issue, right, where, we're not able, especially when it comes to close friends or family, mm. we're not able to say no to them. When, in fact, by saying no, we could be empowering those people to actually step up. Yeah. But instead, we continue to be the crutch for them. Right. Um, and, you know, then there are people who have these sort of negative beliefs that, about money that they've had from their childhood, from the media, from just, you know, money's the root of all evil or the way the media portrays rich women as bitches. I, I mean, know, that's so true. Yeah. I tell me one rich woman that you know on a movie or in the media that is portrayed as a nice person. Never have not guys though. That's the thing. <laughs> so, you know, so people have these subconscious mm. kind of stories around what it means to be wealthy and how we will be perceived and we'll be perceived as greedy or we'd be perceived mm. as bitches or we'd be perceived as power hungry or, you know, any wonder we have <laughs> money blocks. Money bl <laughs> You know, so yeah, and then there's if if then there are sort of people who are in complete denial mm. about their finances, right? They're like, I won't look, I won't look at my bank. No, it's all good. <laughs> I know. So I don't want to know. I don't want to know. And oh, defaulted payment. Oh, I don't know how that happened. Oh, sorry about that. Well. You need to know, right? You need to know when your bills are due. You need to pay your bills. You need to know how much money you need to survive. You, you can't hide away from that. That's a really common money block, you know, just mm. complete denial about their money situation. Um, yeah, and, and uh, there are so many, so many more, mm. right? So it's just a matter of um, even overgiving. Yeah, is, that's a very common one as well. Is a common one, right? And and especially for women, very big-hearted women, they just want to give and give and give and give and give. And, you know, no, 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 can't take a compliment, no, 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 you look nice too. You know, <laughs> you know that's they're all sorts of, um, mm. yeah, yeah, money blocks. And then, you know, I shared fear of success, which is something yeah. that I've personally experienced as well. Because, um, and that can come from, again, past experiences or sometimes when you feel like you can't rely on someone and you feel like it will all sit on your shoulders and you don't have a team and how am I going to cope and, you know, um, like for you, whilst you've got your day job, mm. if your business totally took off, Subconsciously, you could be thinking, oh, how am I going to cope? Shit, how am I going to do this? 
what if I let my clients down? What if I let my construction job down? What if, you know, and these things can block us subconsciously, right? So consciously we want success. Consciously we want this amazing business. Consciously we want to have this huge impact. But our subconscious is 95% of the time. Mm ruling us and so that's why we need to get a coach (laughs) (laughs) hence the money blocks right (laughs) it's it's really hard to sell it's hard Mm -hmm. to sell with money blocks it's hard to receive with money blocks um so yeah and so that's some a, a huge discovery i made after i did my own um work on my own money stories and so I incorporated that into my coaching I became an accredited money coach that Hmm. is so amazing so I guess um kind of conscious of time so last question Hmm. how what would you what would your advice be for um a woman doesn't necessarily in construction who has got a successful career perhaps and they're looking maybe to get a side hustle or mm-hmm. even to quit their job and start a new path, I wouldn't say career, but starting their own business, what would your top three, let's say, advice be? Um, make a decision. <laughs> That's the first one. Because <laughs> so many people are just like, they waste so much time thinking about mm. things, right? And it's just just make a decision. It's okay. You're not on some one-way street that you can't get out of, right? Just make a decision. Consistently do something, whether it's an hour a day, even if it's only an hour a week, you know, that consistency will pay off Mm. and the compound effect of doing something little consistently will eventually you know, bring in the results. And the third thing would be if you believe you can, you will. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's just the mindset. It's um, just back yourself and, you know, because every time you think what if, think what if in the positive direction. Mm. Instead of and what if I fail, what if I succeed? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or at the very least, if you think what if I fail, you have to think what if I succeed because that's the only, mm. that's balanced, right? You can't <laughs> always go one way. You know, you've, mm. got to look at, you've got to look at the full picture. That is so brilliant. So simple yet so brilliant. I mean, a lot of times we, I think, we make our life so much more complicated by inserting complication into our lives. But yet a lot of times it's really, it's as simple as you said, take action, do something consistently. And what was the third one again? <laughs> well, it's the mindset of the beliefs. Mm. Yeah, because your your beliefs basically impact the way you think. Mm. The way you think impacts the way you feel. The way you feel impacts the action that you take and then the action that you take impacts your results. So it all kind of starts off with your beliefs. And if you can get your beliefs in check, um, then you're halfway there, more than halfway there, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and how do we contact you or how do we work with you? What are all the ways we can find you? (laughs) um so my business is Anne ryan strategist and i have a facebook group for online women entrepreneurs with Anne ryan strategist and my website is www.annryanstrategist.com it's quite a mouthful but it's (laughs) it's all the same everywhere you go it's essentially consistency yeah yeah um yeah and and the thing that I kind of focus very much on which we've touched on is the money 
Um, mm. I help my clients to own their worth, ditch their money box, so they can create high ticket offers and sell them. So the goal is you just need two sales a month to earn a six figure income. And often I work with mums mm. and you know, they're working around families and kids. So, you know, having to make two sales to, to replace uh, corporate income is pretty cool. Pretty cool, right? <laughs> Feels manageable, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Rather and than selling 50 or 100. Yeah. That's when we start to tap into overwhelm. <laughs> <laughs> well, and thank you so much for your time and all the wisdom that you passed on. You certainly have a very interesting and adventurous life. So um, <laughs> for any of you that want to follow Anne, it's Anne Ryan Strategist on social media and also on her website. Check it out. And if you've got any hint that you may have money block, just follow her anyway because likely you might just do. Thank you, everybody, for watching, and I will see you next time. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes or whatever platform you are listening on. Share this podcast with your friends and follow at The Womanly Way on Instagram for glimpses behind the scenes, teasers of upcoming content, and juicy snippets of the best interviews. Or if you prefer to watch the show live and interact with my guest and I, Feel free to follow me on Facebook or YouTube at Angela Wang, The Womanly Way. Catch you in the next episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes or whatever platform you are listening on. Share this podcast with your friends and follow at The Womanly Way on Instagram for glimpses behind the scenes, teasers of upcoming content and juicy snippets of the best interviews. Or if you prefer to watch the show live and interact with my guest and I, feel free to follow me on Facebook or YouTube at Angela Wang, The Womanly Way. Catch you in the next episode.